Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Woolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. We're good to go and we're on the air live. Coming at you from Between Two Chairs Studio in Miami, Florida. I love it. All right, Jess, we're ready for the unveiling of today's prop. Oh, my God. Do you know who this is? Yeah, I think I do. Oh. <laughs> This is from uh, a nightmare before Christmas. Is that what it is? Meet zero. Oh my God. Going along with our theme of Halloween and everything that is scary. (laughs) (laughs) But not really. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So I had to bring zero because he's dressed up like a little ghost. That's right. And our theme for now, of course, is ghost kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Because why not? I think with that, we, we can do a, a formal intro. <laughs> Welcome everybody back to Between Two Chairs, another episode. Today, we're going to be discussing ghost kitchens. My name is Fernando Arencibia, and with me, as always, is my <laughs> incredible partner, Jennifer Woman. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you, Fernando? <laughs> I'm so glad you liked Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I can't wait for my girls to see that, <laughs> uh, that video. They're going to love it as well. All right. So let's talk about Ghost Kitchens. I think that's a very appropriate title for the month of Halloween. So I do too. I'm not sure why I picked it because... Because it's got a ghost. It, well, yeah, it has ghosts in This is true. It was a right. little tricky getting more scary stuff. So ghost kitchens, they're also known as dark or virtual kitchens, are basically kitchens that are built, you know, commissary kitchens that are built for food delivery. They're located within a specific radius of a restaurant trying to um, increase the volume or their concept kitchen. And they're within a specific radius of the customers that that concept kitchen is trying to reach. And the reason I liked the idea of doing ghost kitchens, not just because it has the word ghost in it, but also because it gets to our topic, which to now has been fear and then planning to overcome fear. And given how many restaurants are trying to come to Miami and start up in Miami, I thought the idea of a ghost kitchen is a great idea for somebody who's starting out because one, we're having a really hard time finding available spaces, especially second generation restaurant spaces, really tough to find in Miami. But two, the cost of building out, putting in a grease trap, building out a restaurant and everything else is also very high. So I thought, ooh, a ghost kitchen could be a great in-between 
step. This is great because, you know, we don't do a lot of pre-planning for our episodes, so I love your rationale. The thing that gravitated to me was this idea that there were ghost kitchens or these virtual cloud kitchens, you know, whatever you want to call it, prior to the pandemic, Correct. right? But then as the pandemic did for so many trends, that trend got extremely accelerated and you really have to look at how hard it was to be a restaurateur during all of the closures in the pandemic. And I think that there was uh, the ability, right, that human spirit of adapting to the new reality. And I think that's why you saw this prolification of, of dark kitchens, because what the restaurateurs realize is, well, I have a kitchen, I have the hood, I have the grease trap, I'm ready to cook. You know, I can't have people in here, right? But I can still do deliveries, I can still do so many different things to try to feed my family and to try to take care of my employees. And so, it, again, that shift to the ghost kitchen models, like many of the trends that were accelerated during the pandemic, the pandemic I'm sorry, it's here to stay, for right. sure. Right. And we're gonna see different, better, iterations of it, uh, you know, I believe. Right. And to your point, it, you know, everything's shifting because there was pre-pandemic, the pandemic, and then now there's post-pandemic, right? right? And the post-pandemic shift is, okay, everything that boomed during the pandemic, not every boom is going to last, not every change is going to last. So what is finally, what is everything going to finally look like when it settles down and it just becomes yeah. now, right? Not Correct. Post-pandemic, not people about That's what's right. happening now. And because we're still in that transition year where numbers, That's you know, right. we talked about the port last episode where numbers are still coming back. Restaurants now have seen a huge surge as people are able to go out. So how is that going to affect the ghost kitchen? But to your point, during the pandemic, everybody was opening up ghost kitchens. Um, according to Bloomberg in 2021, Wendy's announced plans to open up 700 ghost kitchens across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. And Wego Restaurant Group said its Quiznos and Taco Del Mar brands were also going to open 100 ghost kitchens. So, and and those are interesting, right? Because Wendy's, most of Wendy's are drive throughs right? So it's not even somebody having to go in. So I thought that that was really interesting. But my my favorite local, just to bring it back to to Miami, is that I had no idea that um, both Dwayne Wade and DJ Khalid had ghost kitchens in Miami. Did That's you know right. that? Yeah. Oh, you did know that. Of course, of course, you knew that. So tell me. <laughs> I did. There's a big company called Reef uh, that was well funded mm -hmm. and. Uh, brought the concept to Miami. They, they famously uh, were lauding how the city of Miami was open to contemplating their concept of having these basically kitchens that were gonna, that were popping up in parking lots. You know, they were activating parking lots and you know, they just wanted to geolocate so that people would have access to their brands anywhere they were, physical access to it, even though there wasn't a physical store and they made a deal with Wendy's and with a lot of, a lot of national and international brands. So I know DJ Cat made a deal with them as well and mm -hmm. interestingly reef is shifting their concept from having the physical food truck kind of concept to now focusing more on the tech that they've created the os the operating system that they've created in order to do the ordering more structural and having the back-end infrastructure digitally
in place because you know what people have discussed is that we're, what we're seeing is the digitization of, of restaurants. I was reading a stat that is not my not fun stat fun. at the end, but I would say that so the food delivery market globally has, is worth more than 150 billion. It has tripled since 2017. That's a huge growth, right? And so that's why this idea of the ghost kitchen is it's here to stay, right? Just because of the fact that we have uh, such a demand, right? And consumer behavior has shifted so much because of all the food apps that restaurants have to figure out a way to uh, accommodate for that. And during the pandemic, you you know Chef uh, Niven Patel from mm -hmm. all the great concepts that he has created like ghee and uh, of course, Mame. Uh, and one one of the things that uh, they were very intentional about was how much thought was given to which container to buy that would get the food to your table in the way that they want to present it. I think that what we're what we're going to see is an evolution, not only in the way that the food is delivered, where it is delivered from, but also in the containers that we use to be able to deliver that experience, right. which is what they, I, I think restaurateurs that care about that quality, that's the thing that they're most concerned about. Let, let's talk about the dynamics of the ghost kitchen because I, I find this fascinating because again, it's about adaptation. Change is a constant in business. And so, you know, restaurants have to adapt to, to the new realities. The promulgation of these apps, like, you know, Uber Eats and Grubhub and the like. DoorDash. And DoorDash, Postmates. What happens with, with, with this is that they charge a large fee that is added to the cost of the food for the consumer. And so, you know, in order to make the numbers work it's hard to do that when you are running that out of a full restaurant right the restaurant has other considerations you got to have a certain number of tables you got to have people busing those tables you got to have servers you there are certain guidelines that you have to follow and i think that what a lot of restaurants did is they said well in the ghost kitchen i could bring down my cost and now dealing with those apps makes sense you know, and I think that there was a moment of realization do we create our own apps and do our own delivery and have our own delivery person or do we just understand that this is the way that the market has shifted and that the consumer behavior has shifted and then I'm going to acquiesce or I'm going to, you know, address it at well, that point. And, and they also adapted by, you know, a restaurant usually doesn't put their full menu into a ghost kitchen. So it might just be their most popular takeout items or whatever. Right. So it also really allows them to focus. If if they have their staff split where the ones for delivery or at the ghost kitchen yep. and the ones at the at the brick and mortar restaurant are there taking care Right. of those people both customers are going to have a better experience than if they're trying to do everything out of the restaurant during covid you know we're in miami so we had a lot of places that were still open but i went to one of my favorite thai places called tanny thai and if you follow me on instagram you know that i'm like obsessed with little robots that cut grass <laughs> but there was also this robot there that was a waiter and this little robot, all it did was go, so they moved, Tandy Time moved all the seating upstairs. They had like a platform. All their seating was upstairs. And then they cleared the downstairs to have this path for this robot. And all this robot did was go back and forth between the kitchen and the host delivering the meals that were there for pickup, whether it was directly 
pick up from directly right. by the client or Grubhub or Postmates or whatever. Yeah. So needless to say, I go back just to obsess over that little um, robot. But, you know, to your point, so okay, you, ha you haven't taken me there. So, well, you know, okay, we'll have to go. Full <laughs> pas, full pas. Yeah, yeah. So behind China, the U.S. is the second largest online food delivery market in the world estimated at 218 billion US dollars in revenues in 2022 out of that 76 billion dollars were generated just in meal delivery segment it's a huge market that was 2022 so already coming out of the pandemic i think those numbers are going to drop and shift i've been seeing more space available in commissary kitchens or right. sorry ghost kitchens i've been seeing some of them for sale we have several companies in you know in the miami area that do have so they kind of are like the we work of ghost kitchens it's right. their companies that were right. very very well funded that have several small spaces so you go in like a we work area and you just yeah. go in and everybody has their kitchen space with all the stuff no. like kitchen labs and right. um, cloud kitchens etc well i found that interesting because like many other places in the country before the pandemic we we did see a gr incredible growth of food trucks they're still in very very popular and many of those food trucks here in miami have become brick and mortar uh, restaurants right you know and and we see them uh, all around with the ghost kitchen or with the version of like the WeWork, it's it's another iteration of that, you know, of that path of growth for a young entrepreneur that maybe has one product but doesn't have a business yet. And we saw a few of that. We saw teachers that started making bread and created a bread company. We saw different types of uh, entrepreneurs and even professionals that, you know, were just really good at doing something. And then all of a sudden we have some great clients that created a fish dip, which is amazing, yeah. right? And so, yes. you know, it started out of their kitchen and, and it just grew and grew and grew. And so I find I that- give them a full shout out because so, they have what the- What are we smoking? What are we smoking? Yeah. They have the best fish dip and I'm totally going to sidetrack here. They have the best fish dip. They right. are- at Pinecrest Market That's on right. Sundays, That's they're right. they're amazing. Their yeah. Wahoo dip is to die for. It is really, really it's good. really good. So sorry, yeah. I, I digressed, but yeah, absolutely. Well, they got <laughs> I didn't give them really swordfish, and yeah, yeah they they are incredible. I, I just yeah. love they're it. They're all good. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I just love it. I'm just really excited for the future of the future iterations of what we call a ghost kitchen. You know, right. because I think that it does provide a lot of opportunity. If you're a young entrepreneur and you're you're going into a cloud kitchen where you can utilize a, a small space and, and see if you could scale where you're trying to make and see if there's a business there for you, it's great that those opportunities are there. Yeah, so there's there's one that started here and to your point in reiterations, I think entire point about planning and getting started and using this as a concept. So Miss Cheesiest started out with a food truck and now has a awesome, awesome restaurant. Everything cheese sandwiches is amazing <laughs> in the Mimo area of Miami. So they started like that. But um, in terms of a ghost kitchen, there's one uh, concept that has taken off. It's called Two Korean Girls. Mm -hmm. And they started in a ghost kitchen. They right. kept a ghost kitchen, but now they're also over opening a bricks and mortar right. store. So I think restaurants are going to be very, very similar to the rest of retail where you need yeah. an omni-channel presence. That's right. And to your point about the cost of 
delivery services, I think a lot of these places are yes. going to do it in-house. They're going to figure out the tech because a lot of the delivery not only costs the consumer, it also costs the restaurant, right? Sure. So they end up paying a chunk. And I, I can't remember who the restaurant was, but I, I read recently that one of the restaurants was going to limit the number of online companies that yeah. deliver their food because it was a huge cut in their yeah. space. Now they were also operating out of a restaurant, but they were gonna do their own app. I think that's gonna be tricky. I'm not gonna yeah. let you know why I think that's gonna be tricky now because that's my closing fun stat. Not, <laughs> we're, we're not ready yet, <laughs> but um, I, I won't give it up. But How much of this move to the cloud kitchens and, and the ghost kitchens was a part of this flight to industrial that we saw during, during the pandemic? I think some just because of the restaurant space not being so conducive to it and Perfect. and because you need to be so much closer to your you know it's that last mile right yeah. everybody in industrial always talks about the last mile the last mile the last mile so i think it was part of it um i think anything that was online or convenience and had anything to do with delivery definitely had a had an effect on the industrial and warehouse space especially the stuff that's closer to residential areas the trick there, both before and moving forward, which I think, which is why I think the concept of these like WeWork type cloud kitchens is interesting, is that if you think about it, most of the warehouse that are very, very close to residential have changed uses or they're not getting industrial prices anymore. They're getting retail rents, right? right. Because you can yeah. use a lot of them for retail and to the point, right. you know, you look at Wynwood, you look at Alapata, you look at all these, those aren't even warehouse prices anymore. Yeah. So I think that's going to be one of the changes too, because commissary uh, ghost kitchens and commissary kitchens really only work close to yeah their population right and if you go yeah. too far out you know domino's isn't going to be able to deliver a pizza in 30 minutes or less from out by the everglades yeah. and the turnpike where a lot of the big logistics places are but that are far removed from the industrial so i'm super super interested in the concept more so here here's a confession I have never, ever, ever, ever used a DoorDash or a Grubhub. Oh I wouldn't God. know how to use it. Wow. I have never, you know, I order for takeout all the right. time, but I'm yeah. one of those that if I'm not going to eat in the restaurant, I'm going to go pick it up. I don't want Got somebody it. deciding that he's really hungry and snacking on my food oh, in the oh car. <laughs> That is so funny. So uh, that, that's not the real reason. I've just never, yeah. I've never yeah. done it. But I think that's why they package it in the way they do. But that's, you know, that's yeah, neither here nor there. Emergency yeah. safety cap. Just in case. Yeah. But, so I've never used one. Yeah. So for me, the interesting part is really what kind of cool pop-ups are we going to get? Because that's another thing, right? You have all of these temporary uses to try to test a concept in retail it could be a pop-up store um, in restaurants it could be the food truck it could be the ghost kitchen so i'm excited to hear and see because restaurants are in such huge demand right now because convenience is at a premium especially in the united states you know if you're working all day and then you've got to take your kids to you know the sports and the tutor and this and that and 
you get home and you know you're either going to call your grocery store and they're delivering groceries or you're going to order out and have the food delivered or have it waiting for you and pick it up on the way and i i definitely don't think that's going away i don't care what the economy does i don't care what the pandemic you know did I, i and and the fact that it's not there anymore i think there's going to still be that need for these types of of yeah. spaces and if you're a restaurant starting i mean i can't tell you how many people that i've talked to recently and you know they're brand new operators they've never had a restaurant before they don't have a business plan it's like okay let's start with the business plan and the finances and your yeah. concept and then don't go straight to a lease where you're paying top rent right now in Miami. Most of it is triple net with pass-throughs, right? So you're paying all of the expenses on top of that. And because retail space in general and restaurant space in particular is in such high demand in South Florida, you're going to be tied to a much longer term lease. So yeah. if you just have a concept yeah. yeah, try it out in a ghost kitchen. I so I'm I'm interested in that, especially since I love small businesses. You and I talk about it all the time. But so. yeah, and I think to your point um, that you made at the start of this is there was there was a time in which financially it made sense to do a lot of these um, you know new concepts because the the, the cost of leasing out uh, industrial property, um, even with the cost of turning it into a ghost kitchen, was significantly less than what you were paying for retail. But what I'm seeing as a trend is that a lot of these regional brands that want to grow and that now are going to go from one unit to two to three to four to five is they're looking to create a commissary kitchen where they can do a lot of the cooking and a lot of the prepping for all of the stores in one location, right? right. One warehouse location that is central enough where early in the morning you could have all their all of their vans deliver to the restaurants, which are really where the last, you know, that, that last mile is going to be. And so I don't think that that is a concept that will... That will go away. I think there's always going to be demand for industrial spaces that are centrally located that do have the ability to, to have the grease trap, the hood and everything and for that to be ready. And, you know, in regards to the way that the consumer has shifted their behavior with deliveries and all of the stuff, I think that that is certainly not not something that will go away. But definitely, you know, the, the cost is a shared cost between, you know, the purveyor of the goods and the consumer. And, right. and it is significant. So there is a big you know there is a big jump and i don't know that that's something that they will the restaurants will figure out on the, on their own some will right right there's something about the fact that all those apps have been around and they're and they're still around you know right. and they're still doing well so you know at some point you would think that there would have been some merging uh, you know of those of those apps and maybe in the future that will be the case what is never going to change is the fact that the consumer has shifted you know oh, right. their behavior and the reality is is that yeah. If they're used to using an app for delivery, it's going to be really hard yeah. because yeah. They're, they're used to it. It's a habit, right? So they just go, they look for whichever app they have and, right. and order. So I find this so interesting that if you're in the restaurant business, you, you really get a glimpse as to where society is. Mm-hmm. And so like one of the biggest concerns right before the pandemic was the fact that the restaurants work by how 
many seats they can turn over. They're looking at, you know, on average, people would, would come, do a, have a meal, and it might, if it was lunch, it might be 30 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be in and out usually in 20 minutes because they have a 30-minute lunch. They'll go back and all of the stuff. And then for dinner, again, you know, there was conversation. There was maybe a bottle of wine. You, you eat all that stuff. But there was a certain amount of time in which they were sitting down, and then they would turn over the, the seat. That behavior totally shifted with the advent of the phones, right? The, the advent of the iPhone and the like. And now people were sitting in those seats 30, 40 minutes longer than they were ever before. And all of that time is costing money to the restaurant. So the shift, you know, the restaurants have to now shift their way of approaching this in order to address that that issue. They can turn over a lot of deliveries because right. some of those orders come in at the same time. Right. They don't have to worry about that time component. And if you have a ghost kitchen, right, you're, you're not having the servers, you're not having all of the extra stuff. And all you're doing is basically cooking, packaging, and waiting for the delivery guy to come knocking at your door. Right. I did. I have noticed a little bit away from ghost kitchens, but maybe the popularity will increase because to your point, I've been to two restaurants recently that I'm used to going to. Right. And both of them have given us a time limit. And interesting. When I go out to eat, if you give me a time limit, I'm done. I'm I'm not going to eat there. I'm not going to mention the name of the restaurant because I'm hoping that that was just a blip. But I get that you want to turn over fast. Charge me more. Let me sit. But if I need to eat super, super fast and inhale everything, I might as well order out and eat at home. It takes away from the experience. If I I happen to be with a couple that we hadn't seen in a while, we were trying to catch up. We only had that one night. We were looking... It was horrible. The whole, and I love this place. We go to this place several times a month. It's amazing. And now I'm like, okay, maybe from now on, I just order from there because I don't want to be rushed, especially not if I'm seeing people that I haven't seen in a while and I'm catching up. I mean, even if I'm just with Carlos, I don't want to be rushed through a meal. If we're taking the time to get dressed and not eat in yeah. our PJs. You know? No, but I think restaurants will find a, a more creative way of, of yeah. addressing that. And I don't know I don't know exactly how they would do it, but like there, there are a few things that you pick up on when you go to a restaurant nowadays. Like a lot of the new restaurants have an Instagram wall and some of them even are creating like entire walks outside. And I think what right. they want to do is invite people to feel like, okay, we finished our meal. Let's go, let's let's go move around. We check this stay, out. Right? Let's go. And I think that no one... There's no industry that is more adaptable or more prone to understand shifts in and change and adapting to those changes right. than the restaurant industry. And, you know, when we're, we're, we've seen it, hence the ghost kitchens and right. the prolification of it. Ghost kitchens don't just work for restaurants, right? They're also right. great. So I think of Misha's, right? So That's Misha's, right. she literally started making Misha's cupcakes in her kitchen, right? They right. started in their kitchen, then they needed a formal kitchen so they had to move out and now they do both you know they have a formal kitchen and they have retail space and they sell them you know at Milam's they sell them at the airport again if you're making kombucha or fish dip or cupcakes or whatever in your kitchen and you need a place to go again instead of investing in a huge amount of equipment and trying to find a place and get the permits for the grease trap and everything else I think uh, ghost kitchen is a great first step to take at 
a much reduced cost than it would take you to open something. Mm -hmm. And not only, even if you know your concept works because you've already proven it, the fact that you can start yeah. out slower while you spread the word and get the contracts with Miami Airport or Milam's or whoever it's going to be. That's right. um, and then you can go into bricks and mortar, right? And in an age where, you know, sometimes things just go viral, the word of mouth that happens through social media, there is some natural growth that happens and, and you have to you have to be up for it. Right. And to your point, you know, with the with the fish dip company and, and Pinecrest Market, we the farmers market, farmers markets are huge here right i mean even in yeah. the middle of hot muggy summer with thunderstorms and everything they're super right. popular and it was super cool because you know i've lived in pinecrest for a gazillion right. years before we had a farmer's market and i uh, i went with my granddaughter the other day and it was super cool because there were so many young families and yeah. everybody's running into each other and they're using yeah. it as a sh social time and a gathering and you know what better way to gather than around food and zach the baker also started right yeah, going sure. from a small you know cooking bread in his kitchen to now he's huge and his delicious bread is everywhere yeah. um so again if you're looking at going back to our theme kind of of the of october and halloween and fear yeah. and and planning and how it all works together is yeah. having a plan on how you're if taking a concept from the very very inklings of an idea yeah. and eliminating the fear of whether or not you're going to succeed or how to proceed taking these steps and having these steps being a part of your plan in the food right. industry, farmers markets, ghost kitchens, et cetera, I think For is sure. is one way to make sure that your goals and your dreams still come true without yeah. a huge, you know, financial commitment right on the line and also frustrations because if you're just starting and you don't have a name, you know, right now in Miami you're competing against the Ariette group, major food group, all of these, you know, local homegrown right restaurants and concepts as well as the ones coming from chicago and new york and everywhere sure. else so yeah. avoid the frustration <laughs> <laughs> just all together avoid yeah. the frustration start start yeah. with the with the concept start with an idea and guess what then when you're done you can tell them what your sales were just at a farmer's market or you can tell them what your delivery sales are etc and yeah. then you can be like the two korean girls yeah. looking for brick and mortar space for sure well, I love the uh, the farmers market. Um, is I mean, it's so great, really, and it also helps shape what reaction you're seeing from the consumer because you're seeing it right in front of you. True. So you get a you get a better sense of where you're at and and how many people come back week after week to uh, to buy your product. You know, it's almost like market research, but on a, on a very local and very right. you know hands on uh, level. So I think that that's an important. Where they call it a focus group. You have a live focus group every single weekend. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. We often drive around and we see a lot of development, um, especially these blocks of land where that are getting developed for industrial. And I always thought that they're looking for economies of scale, right? I don't, I don't have to build 10 grease traps. I could just build two really large grease traps. I can create um, more scale and still have access to, to all this stuff. So the thing is that I know in, in South Florida, land is very much a premium. Do you see new developments that are going to be pure 
purely like food and beverage concept that are not necessarily a retail component? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it just because we're so strapped just for logistics and distribution space. And we have so many of the big guns in here investing massive amounts of money because they know that, first of all, a lot of our inventory is old, right, with the lower ceilings, and those are the ones that are being converted or now with the live local being, you know, people are trying to redevelop them into housing and mixed use. But what what I think would be interesting is if there continues to be a huge demand is, and again, that might not work in Miami unless it's in a C-class building, but would be a conversion of office space because there are certain industry industries, and I think, you know, we just probably beat the food industry to death with the ghost kitchen idea, but there's that one. But there's also a need for like medical labs, right? And doing yeah. the science and everything else. So you have something like Converge Miami. Mm-hmm. And I think with the premium on industry, on industrial being super, super high for new industries entering yeah. the market, that you're going to get more of these shared workspace, but that are hyper specific. Like it's super expensive to open a medical lab, just like it's super expensive to open a restaurant. So if you have these filler spaces, right, that can take an idea and let somebody play with the idea until they decide they need more space or they need a full manufacturing system or a full manufacturing site, then that's where I see that. And to me, that's exciting because think about it. We're trying to bring more manufacturing back from overseas to the Americas, right? So that would mean you would need more manufacturing space. But manufacturing space, once you have it, you don't leave, right? Because manufacturing is expensive. You're putting in heavy equipment, you're putting in heavy electrical, you're putting in high demand stuff. So once you have that, it's harder for them to leave. But what if you're in the wrong area for distribution or what if something changes? Like right now, there's a huge shift in, and Casey Conway has been talking about this for years, yeah. um, as has Anna Bozovic from um, Anna's Analytics. The shift from the West Coast to the East Coast and the shift from the Midwest and North, South, right? So, well, what if I'm a manufacturing plant and all my stuff is where is no longer the the area to be? It's much more expensive to move. But if you have these concept, for better word, concept areas, concept manufacturing sites, concept kitchens, where you can play with the idea and the distribution, then I think that would be. Yeah. I think that would be interesting. That doesn't really so answer your question. We, but no, because all I've seen is is an adaptation of uh, or a conversion to a, a you know, commercial uh, a ghost kitchen. I haven't seen a lot of ground up development where it originally right. going to be like that. I mean, there is some, but, you know, not to a scale where you would say, wow, this is a trend that is taking over right and then it would be bigger because then it would be more so let's say you go from ghost kitchen which is very small space to i think what you're talking about is almost ghost manufacturing right so it would be more like having much bigger kitchens that are but used by several different users that are strictly strictly used to ship product out right 
That's I, interesting. I, I hmm. Well, you know what I what I think what I think is there seems to be this idea of adaptive reuse doesn't doesn't seem to be just a, a today thing. I think that we're going to see different iterations of buildings regardless of what asset class they are right now, and uh, I think to me that's very exciting. Absolutely. So don't let your don't let current use affect your creativity right, correct exactly yeah. always look at what it could be yeah what do they what say the that those who are crazy enough to imagine it or crazy enough to yeah. get it done or something That's to that right. effect I, I will say that while i was in atlanta there is a development on city market mm -hmm. and it was a sears and starbucks sears and starbucks <laughs> sears and <laughs> roebuck <laughs> yeah it tells you how much i want coffee right now <laughs> sears and roebuck that from 1926 and it and, and it became vacant and it's this beautiful red brick, you know, old building and the developers bought it and totally renovated and now it is a destination. I mean, you have to go, when you're in Atlanta, you have to go see this place. Not only do you have all of the retail stores and a lot of great restaurants, you have some sort of a food hall that is set up in the in the ground floor. And then in the top floors, you have uh, entertainment venues. Basically, they, they rent out the entire rooftop. You have one area that is for events. You have another area that, you know, that has all the catering, everything ready, all the kitchen in the back. And then and you have the other side that has all of these games, you know, and there's like, and it's like a, ca a carnival and you have all the carnival games and there's atmosphere, there's a DJ, there's, you know, there's a bar. It's really incredible how those things are revitalized with right. a lot of creativity. And, you know, listen, suffice it to say a lot of money. They, they pay 27 million for the site. This is what happens when you're a realtor. <laughs> you go to a place and you're like, it's, you're not satisfied just to know like, oh, what a cool idea. They did an amazing job, but you start looking at the numbers right <laughs> and then you're like all right good local developer did good you know what a what an incredible concept paid 27 million dollars for the site invested 180 million dollars for the conversion and that was you know back in 2014 so it's coming up to 10 years and but to tell you that it is so i mean it is brim full i didn't see i didn't see vacancies it is a full mixed-use project there's also they also have something called the flats at ponds that has residential and, within the uh, same building within the same it's a, it's it's all in the same footprint oh, okay. of where the building is so it's okay. right next to the building okay. i mean it, it, it's really very creative and, it, and it's a great 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 thing so that made you know. me think of the bottle works hotel in right. indianapolis and that right. whole bottle that used to be an old coca-cola plant yeah. but again you know it's easier to tear down than to redo but they right. redid it and yeah. it's it's spectacular but now that you yeah once you do it once you right. have it, it, it it's quite quite the experience right so I want to thank all of those um, visionaries who take old buildings right. and come up with really cool concepts mm -hmm. because I love the old buildings absolutely so your fun stat well, you know, in keeping with the fact that there's an incredible growth in food deliveries, then you would tend to think that there would be an incredible growth in ghost kitchens. And, and I believe those numbers pan out. So the market size for cloud kitchens is about $57 billion. It is forecasted to be $113 billion by 2027. Wow. So again, you know, incredible, incredible growth in the size of the cloud kitchen uh, market. So going in tandem with that, um, Bloomberg's second measure transaction data for the delivery apps 
um, shows that in August of 2023, DoorDash and its subsidiary Caviar earned 65% of the meal delivery market. So yeah, DoorDash had its public market debut. They did their IPO in 2020. It was mm -hmm. one of the biggest ones ever. Um, and it accounts for an increasing percentage of market share during COVID-19. Between 2019 and 2023, the market share of DoorDash doubled. Wow. So they, they're leading the way. They they're are the, the way by they're the big honcho. Yeah. In the 65%, wow. I think Uber Eats, which is the next one, is like at 23. Right. Wow. That's yeah. that's huge. Well, well, we'll see what other iterations of this concept uh, are out there. All right. As always, thank you all for, for listening to Between Two Chairs. We are looking forward to uh, our next episode. And... Uh, Oh, yeah, our next episode. It's a big treat. Investing on the edge of scary. Ooh, Not going to want to miss it. I love it. All right. Bye, everybody.